Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Good, as long good. as you have all the answers. Uh, I don't have all of them. <laughs> but we have good questions. Of course, the questions so. are always out there, and we're always trying to sort it out and make sure that they're all telling us the truth. Yeah. And that's a job. That's a, and, that's a job and a half. You know why it's a real big job? Because sometimes they don't even know they're telling the truth or yeah, not. Yeah. They're just paid propagandists, or they're driven by money, and then there's no other thing to discuss. But there is a lot of excitement in the Middle East, and uh, it isn't just a little skirmish. Uh, according to the markets, the markets are reacting very strongly uh, that this is not going to go away next week, and uh, there's going to be problems, and it's not going to solve the problem of the budget. The budget, not, not only will they not solve it, they're going to make it a lot worse. You know, they're going to spend a lot of money. Israel's uh, demanding, you know, money. They, they're learning from Ukraine. You know, Zelensky comes in and demands, oh, I want this and this, but he sort of lost favor with it. But uh, the uh, Israelis are used to getting a lot of money. Remember that deal they made back in the 1970s, I guess? Yeah. They have $4 billion automatic, you know, yeah. they're, they're on our payroll. Uh, so I, I think it's uh, pretty interesting. It, it's not universal. You know, the, the uh, fighting uh, to get a speaker in the House is in the news all the time because it shows the Republicans don't know what they're doing, and that's where the major part of the media wants, uh, wants the message to be. But uh, there was a, just a message that just came out short a while ago. It says U.S. lawmakers demand Biden declassify intelligence on Gaza hospital disaster. Well, that sounds good. You know, I figured, how do you handle real important uh, information like this because under times of, of legitimate wars, you know, there, there should be. But what we're doing so often is illegitimate. So if, uh, if, if things happen, there's massacres and killing and fighting, uh, they shouldn't even be doing so. All of that should be av available to the people. The people demanding this are the, uh, the progressives, the real far left progressives. Mm. And uh, they, it's good that they're saying, introducing the idea uh, because we want a little bit of clear, uh, clear, clear on up of all this information. So that's, uh, that's what, what I, I think is good about it. But it's also, uh, you know, we're not looking for the progressives or the Democrats or, or whoever to have smooth sailing because they, they have control of the media. But I think this is an indication that uh, the division in the Democratic Party probably is every bit as strong. But they say that, but they always, so the Democrats, they give credit, they always at least get together and uh, after a few broken arms, uh, they come along and stick together. And Republicans keep fighting. Yeah. And one of these days they'll have a speaker. But, uh, you know, I, that's one thing that doesn't keep me awake at night. When are we going to get a speaker? <laughs> you know, what, what are we going to do? So. Well, maybe that'll be resolved today. But uh, <clears throat> there's another recourse we want to spend some time on. Bi Biden gives Netanyahu private backing for Gaza. Once again, it has to do with intelligence gallery. Do we know what's going on? And this is big because what he, what he does according to, to, to the way I understand it, this, this could get out of control, especially if you start getting uh, troops on the border and troops drawn into it and where is, where is the red line and when do they cross. And uh, 
there's a lot of ducks lining up now on what's what's going to happen. But uh, Biden and Netanyahu had this little conversation, and uh, and and <clears throat> this you you think maybe the people ought to know, the Congress ought to know about what what happened. But you know you know, but it, when you have a brilliant president, you probably don't have to worry about it. They they can come over and, and negotiate things. But uh, there, there, it's up to no good right, right now. Of course, <laughs> I think we could apply that to what we think about our foreign policy. <laughs> you know, and regardless of which party runs it, we've been involved in, in intervention in the internal affairs of other nations, and we've been managing, uh, you, you know, an empire, and we've been wasting away our money. So there's every reason to complain. Uh, and not make it partisan because it looks like it's a, a universal and it's the activity that has been preached and pushed down the throats of almost every college graduate. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, let's put on that first <coughs> clip. Again, we go back to our friends at antiwar.com, Dave DeCamp, who wrote this up. He always writes up very precise little summaries of news items, and we appreciate it. So as you say, Dr. Paul, uh, Biden gives Netanyahu private backing for Gaza ground invasion. This is what happened apparently during the hour-long meeting that Biden had with Netanyahu and then he met with the war cabinet and they discussed this. Um, he remains fully in support of Israel's plans to launch a ground incursion uh, into Gaza. Apparently they have all the uh, everything ready for that. Uh, a, cu a couple of observations on this Dr. Paul. We don't really know exactly, <coughs> I think that's sort of the theme. What exactly did he tell him? What did he promise him in terms of U.S. support? both financially and materially, I think probably more importantly. But the other part of this is by doing two things. First of all, if it's true, assuring him of our backing, you got the green light to go ahead. And then B, and I have a clip for that, yesterday vetoing a resolution in the UN calling for a ceasefire. The US was the only country in the Security Council to vote against it, thereby killing that idea for a ceasefire. Those two things taken together have, I would argue, backed Israel into a corner. Now, they think they're helping Israel, but in fact, I would say they're backing them into a corner because it makes this escalation, this ground invasion, inevitable. The U.S. is behind it. We won't let any resolution go through calling for a ceasefire. And it puts the onus on Netanyahu. And my guess is that Netanyahu's military experts are not as gung-ho as the political leadership in Israel is about this ground invasion. They've already lost... <coughs> Over 300 military personnel Israel has. That's more than they've lost in anything going back to the 67 war. That's more than they've lost. So I think there's not a lot of stomach for a lot of other losses. But by doing this, they put him in a corner. Because if he says, you know what, I'm listening to my military people and I don't think we should go in. What if he looks like he's backing down? He looks like he's weak. He looks like Hamas is one. So there literally is no escape route for Netanyahu at this point. And even David Petraeus, former General David Petraeus, wrote a piece saying, sending ground troops into Gaza will be a disaster. And if anyone knows about military disasters, <laughs> it's David Petraeus, he right? He learned on the job. <laughs> he learned on the job. So I'm just, my, my point, Dr. Paul, is just Biden is not doing Netanyahu or Israel any favors by backing them into this corner. Yes, and, and you know, uh, 
when these conflicts are devised by governments and overstepping and, and pretending everybody will be treated fairly, you know, whether it's the Versailles Treaty or whether it's uh, how you're going to uh, order the world uh, and, and the uh, countries after World War II, uh, it's, it's artificial, and then they come up with problems, and then we get this interference, and you talk about those interferences that come in, and uh, they don't listen to reason. You, say, you bring up the very important points. Well, they should know better. They shouldn't do this, and why are they doing this? And I think it's because the situation is wrong. You know, two countries, if, 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 everybody left, if two countries are at war, and they were left alone, you know, they would, uh, they would finally exhaust themselves and yeah. not have to engage the whole world. But no, it, it is this, this idea that, you know, uh, peace in our time, you know, the, the war end all wars. And it, it turns out it, it's, it's sort of the, the opposite, unfortunately. Yeah. But the, the rhetoric, the rhetoric finds good, sounds good. And the people say, well, you're for peace and we're for peace, so we should work toward that. But it turns out that uh, sometimes there are policies like like most of the time, it backfires, and a lot of people suffer, and most of the time the people that suffer the most are the ones that had little to say, but their, their fault is that they, they were too complacent in watching it, and that's, that's what we hope we can do, is get people interested enough in foreign policy to pay attention now. And so when I see the people, you know, right now, they, uh, they have rebelled against, uh, at least some are starting to rebel against the insanity of all that money going to Ukraine. Yeah. You, you know, Zelensky's coming with his hat out. Oh, yeah. You know, but uh, it, it hasn't been getting full in this last week or two. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other big question about the Biden-Netanyahu meeting, and I don't know, perhaps I missed something, I, I read constantly, but what, if anything, did he tell Netanyahu about Hezbollah and the willingness of the U.S. or the interest in the U.S. of directly intervening militarily? Because we've talked about it. We have the two carrier strike groups. We have additional uh, combat um, naval vessels there. We have probably 15,000 troops all told in the region. Uh, what has he told him? What kind of promises has he made to Netanyahu about will we go in if so the idea is, you know, if, if Israel commits a significant portion of its troops in the south to Gaza, that will leave the northern border open for a Hezbollah attack. And that's mm -hmm. the concern. Did Biden reassure Netanyahu, hey, we got your back. If you're all in in Gaza and Hezbollah comes down from Lebanon, we are going to go in full force and we're going to go to war with Lebanon, with Hezbollah, which, as we know, is Iranian-backed. So basically, we're going to go to a war with Iran as well in your favor. Um, did he say that? And if he did say it, does he remember saying it? Did anyone <laughs> record it? And that is the biggest issue because that's the issue of World War III. You know? and, and we have a recording of Biden on Air Force One. And he was asked by a reporter. He said that the, the reporter asked him, she said, the Times of Israel has reported that you... Uh, have given them assurances that we will go in militarily, uh, and he has a he has a, a very succinct answer. Let's listen to this clip. The sound quality is not terrific because it's on Air Force One, but it's worth listening to. Okay. Any more for the hospital, sir? May I? Well, don't. Yes. Okay. May I ask you about? There's a report in the Times of Israel that says Biden officials have indicated to Israel in recent days that if Hezbollah initiates a war against Israel the U.S. military will join the IDF in fighting the terrorist group? Not true. Not true? I was never sure. I think there's a lot of 
Okay, well, that's, he says very clearly, that's not true. I never said that. I never said we would join the IDF in fighting Hezbollah. There have been contradictory reports as well. But for me, at least, I think that's a top question. You know, one of the first uh, foreign policy uh, conflict that was going on that I got involved in when I went back into, into Congress had to do with Beirut. Uh -huh. you yep, remember? That's right. You remember Beirut was, uh, and that was under Reagan. And of course, uh, Reagan has never done anything wrong. He, he, he was a very nice person. He was <laughs> above uh, many of the other ones we've had. But he, he did make a mistake. But I think he, I think he recognized that. I think even in his memoirs, he, he wrote about that, that uh, that was a big mistake on his part. And he took responsibility for it. But, uh, yeah, I, but I remember that was there were some others on the, on the Congress, probably more likely Democrats, maybe it was Dennis Kucinich or somebody, uh -huh. that we were going down every single day and doing one minute about get the troops out out of Beirut yeah. and it was constant and that was uh, and I, re I remember Barry Goldwater Sr. was involved in that I even wrote him a note and corresponded with him why 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 and and, uh, and yet it, the whole thing blew up can you imagine they the, the Marines didn't even have ammunition yeah Crazy. Uh, so that that was a tough lesson, but it, but that lesson should be learned just by looking at history and what happens, and a little bit about human nature and look at uh, how liberty really works. But this kind of stuff, this goes on. We're back in Lebanon, and uh, you know Hezbollah, I think, is a little stronger now yes. than it was back then. Uh, I don't think they weren't throwing that word around nearly like they are now. So it, it's uh, it's a mess over there for sure. And it's it's getting. More more and more dangerous and I know it sounds to me at least from what I hear that Iran does not want to jump in they have been hesitant to jump in but if Hezbollah is getting attacked by American warships and interestingly enough I think I brought it up yesterday on the show is that Russia's President Putin said we are now going to have permanent patrols of the Black Sea and I'll remind the US that our Kinzhal missiles can reach <coughs> can reach into the Mediterranean um, he says not a threat but it's just a fact so they're obviously keeping their eye on this situation the question is whether Russia would come to the aid of Iran, which is this close ally now, uh, because of the, ironically, our support for Ukraine has put Russia and Iran into each other's arms. So the potential there is, is very serious for an escalation. Um, I just want to show one quick, this is from The Guardian. This is what I was talking about, that next clip. U.S. vetoes U.S. call for humanitarian pause and corridors into Gaza. Now, that's really not a good look. We're the only country to vote against just a humanitarian pause. Help these people get some food. They haven't had water in a week. Uh, it really, it just reinforces the view um, uh, among uh, the Arab and the Muslim world that the U.S. is taking sides. And it, again, it doesn't do Israel any favors. Uh, so the, I guess let's move on because this is, I think, a slightly better story, a more optimistic story. And if we can go to that next clip, actually, just the, uh, there we go. So Jewish groups are gathering in the U.S. Capitol to call for a ceasefire in Gaza amid the ongoing conflict in Israel. So a large uh, Jewish peace organization. And, you know, we used to work with those when you were on oh, the yeah. Hill. We worked yeah, with them right. a lot. Jewish Voice for Peace. They went to the floor. They went to um, the, um, the uh, Cannon office building under the rotunda, and they held a sit-in uh, calling for a ceasefire 
and uh, well, they ended up getting arrested, but they had a good demonstration. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> and, uh, and you can be sure that it wasn't just because they were there demonstrating. The message had something to motivate them because they were taking a different position, obviously. So that, uh, that, that of course, is, is uh, and I can understand why some people would endorse this, but it also, I understand why they don't want the message out. And once again, it's getting that information. And uh, you have to stick to the message. And you can't, you can't, you know, you know they argue that, uh, uh, you know, we treat both sides equally. We try to give, give uh, both sides money. And yet, <laughs> one side gets a lot more money than the yeah. other and a lot more promises too so uh, I, I just think that uh, it's so it's been so unfair uh, and yet the people that uh, that would like to see changes and they come in and they're doing this peacefully I'm, I'm thankful that they weren't talked about being arrested for insurrection or <laughs> yeah. something you know they're defying they were defying the president well yeah, that's what a lot of the right-wing wackos were saying how come how come our guys got arrested for insurrection and they didn't well the answer is neither should have gotten yeah, arrested there you you know? go. that's I mean, it it's just so typical of their approach um, it wasn't an insurrection it was a demonstration demonstrations are not allowed inside that building and so they were warned and they were arrested you know as you always say when you commit civil disobedience you accept the consequences which they did they didn't go nuts and go crazy in fact we have a video um, do that third video i'm going to skip the second one uh, but do that third video if you can this is just a, a little show of what it looked like you might want to it's only 11 seconds here dr paul but it just shows the uh what it was like there um they're calmly arrested. All right, that's good. So it says, Jews say ceasefire now, and the back in the front says, not in our name. Uh, and go to that next clip, because this is from antiwar.com. They wrote a little bit about that protest. Um, Jewish Voice for Peace wrote on X, while 500 Jews, rabbis, and descendants of Holocaust survivors chant let Gaza live and get arrested inside a crowd of 10,000 sings outside <laughs> we won't stop until our demands of a ceasefire are met they go on to say the number of people who attended the protest is not confirmed but reports say at least 100 demonstrators have been arrested by Capitol Hill demonstrations are not allowed inside congressional buildings the US Capitol Police wrote well they kind of bent that a little bit when the climate change people came in I remember when we were in there the Occupy Wall Street came in occupied our office uh, they weren't really hassled, but I guess there are protests and there are protests. You know, I find this interesting because uh, I want them to protest, but I don't believe that it should be rowdy and breaking down yeah. on civil discourse. But uh, the the right to petition your government is very, very important. You know, that's part of the First Amendment. And uh, but but they figure you're going over the line when you do that. So if I ever had uh, somebody call me and they were getting ready to do that, would I give them an advice? Well, if you ask me for it, I'll give you advice. Why don't, why don't you do it? Have a demonstration, have a lot of people there and see if you can get an appointment to see your congressman. Yeah. And yeah. petition your congressman. And uh, it's instead of in, in a public 
in the public place and the noise and, and interfering with the order, uh, that, that just, it's, it's to, to me, not something criminal, but, yeah. but they've overstepped the line. But uh, I think it's very, very important in this age where the right of free speech is being challenged all the time. And uh, it should, people should remember to petition the government. If you have free speech, I always say, they didn't give us the First Amendment so we could talk about the weather. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we, we have our free speech to petition our government and uh, tell them what we really think. Yeah, that, that, that's such great advice. You know, you, you, they could have even done a two-prong. They could have had their demonstration uh, because it does get attention. But you're right, it makes a lot more sense for these groups. And I'm sure they do it because these are savvy groups. We work with them, as we say, for years. But making an appointment with your congressman saying, listen, I'm a constituent, I'm Jewish, I don't support this. Don't put all of us Jews into one basket and say we're all frothing at the mouth for war because it's not true. Uh, and I think that would be very, very effective. Yeah, quietly walking in an office and saying, no, the, the congressman won't see you. But uh, there's probably rules, but uh, the rules ought to permit, you know, a handing out of a pamphlet. Yeah, you know, yeah, if you yes. didn't get to meet with, well, we, maybe somebody will take a look at this in your office. Or yeah. something. There, there are different ways of handling it. Well, I don't know how the other offices were, but when it was a constituent, you drop everything you, you had and you went and met with him. If you were available, you would meet with him automatically. Um, sometimes you weren't there, obviously, but, but nevertheless, they would always meet with staff. Well, or you. you know, most con congressional office, the doors stayed open. But one time, uh, I think I was in college, a couple of the students went down and some offices kept the door closed and they were <laughs> intimidated and they didn't get to see their congressman or their senator and all. And so my rule was, I bet you never saw my door closed never. because that door should stay open and you take the risk of somebody coming in and, and, yeah. and occupying <laughs> us. But we really weren't bothered, even during the campaigns. No. I, I didn't I didn't yet feel like I was being harassed. No, no. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's move on, I guess, Dr. Paul, to our third uh, uh, article. And I think this is in the category of here's more fallout of a bad U.S. foreign policy, of a bad policy of uncritical endorsement of one side. And we put this next one on. This is Kyle Anzalone, who's great. He's over at Libertarian Institute. Um, he has a piece out. Uh, Iraqi militias launch strikes on bases with U.S. troops. And you say, hang on a minute. I thought the Iraq war was over. Why do they have bases with U.S. troops there? Well, we do. We never left. And Dr. Paul, that might surprise some people, probably not. But after all this time of liberating the Iraqis, they're not that awfully happy about us being there. That's why I suggested to them, boy, one time they came in after 10 years, I said, if you don't vote for this resolution to get the troops out of there, you could be there for another 10 years. Yeah. And I think they ended up there yeah, another exactly. 10 years. Exactly. So it's just terrible. But uh, I think that uh, this, this whole thing that uh, Iraq is doing, that, so... You know, I, I looked at the, some of this news superficially. I sort of thought we turned it over to them and it wasn't militarily occupied, but we really are. We bribe them with money and then we have our presence there and they know they, they know their limits. But the people, the, 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 the normal people look at it each day and they see our, they do spot that we have troops there and some of them get pretty upset with this. And, uh, and then they start striking out. That's, that's, uh, Instead of saying, well, these are evil people, as much as 
Why did they do it? What was the incentive? What would we have done if that happens over here? Here in this country, if you use the example, what if the Chinese get more powerful and they come and occupy us like we occupy the rest of the world? Uh, and the, the Chinese have several reasons why they don't do that. But uh, if, if we were treated the same way, and we've used that example for a long time, and, and, and it appeals to, to a lot of people, they'll repeat that statement. Like, you know, uh, if we're doing something to a country, what would it be like if they were doing it to us? How would we respond? And uh, it's, it's so much better to have a non-interventionist foreign policy. It's, you know what, I've told you, I think it makes our, uh, our job less difficult because it's pretty clear cut what you do in a non-intervention. But if you have intervention per se, that's like intervention in the economy or whatever, you can do anything you want and you have a spectrum like this. So that's why you have to fight over it. When you run out of money, you, how are we gonna do this and this? Who, who are we, and in a way that's what's happening here. Uh, you know, we're gonna give money to Israel, but should we continue to give money to any Arab country? You yeah. know, oh no, we'll have to cut them out. So uh, there, there, there is a limit, they're meeting it, reaching, and uh, I think uh, if they don't change the policy, which they're not on the verge of doing, they're having more debate about the policy. And that's what, that's what uh, is involved in uh, picking a speaker, you know, to the House. The, the foreign policy does have, you know, there's, there's a few up there now that said enough is enough. Let's quit spending some of this money or wasting this money on occupations. Yeah. Well, it also underscores how uh, vulnerable our troops are. We have troops in Iraq and they're getting hit by rockets. Well, that doesn't seem like a very good idea because we're irritating the entire Arab world against the U.S. with the policy of backing Israel without question. So these guys are basically sitting ducks out there. And put on that next group, that next uh, clip if you can. Uh, two Iraqi Shia militias use drones to target bases in Iraq where American soldiers are deployed. And I think one of the drones got through and injured some people. But go to the next one. Here's the irony of this. Is what, this is a really a good argument for non-interventionism, Dr. Paul. So Kataib Hezbollah is a major militia within the Iraqi Popular Mobilization of Forces, the PMFs. The PMFs receive support from Iran and were crucial to defeating the Islamic State in Iraq. So these PMF guys were getting money and help from Iran, and they were knocking out ISIS. And I think even um, Trump said something like this at the time, like, hey, if these guys are taking out ISIS, why don't we get out of there and let them get about their job? So it's just ironic that we have the same enemy, but we're now fighting against them. And I would just point out one other thing additionally, Dr. Paul, is that these attacks were not only against U.S. troops in Iraq, but if you put the next clip on, um, there was also an attack on U.S. troops in Syria. And if you look at that map, you see that red circle, the Al-Tanf base that the Americans used to occupy a good chunk of Syria. A U.S. military base in the Al-Tanf area of the Homs province, Syria, was attacked by a drone by resistance factions. Attack on the American Al-Tanf base on the Syrian-Iraqi-Jordanian triangle with three drones. Targeting of American base Konitso, I guess that's how you pronounce it, on the northern part of Deir Ezzur with two rockets. So. We're getting, U.S. troops are getting hit in Iraq and in Syria. Seems like a good argument for us to get out of there. You know, these uh, wars and conflict, 
never end, it seems. And that's my point about Iraq. We're, we're still there and they're still angry and, and uh, uh, the conditions are staying the same. But I keep thinking, you know, we t still talk about Iran and in different categories, you know, uh, after the hostages were taken, you know, everybody was ready to bomb them to smithereens. Yep. Uh, but just think uh, of uh, what, what it would have been like if we just skipped 1953 yeah. and and we didn't deal in the internal affairs of Iran and we uh, you know uh, uh, got rid of an elected leader uh, Mossadegh and and just just because that really led to the takeover in '79, yep, and uh, and now we're still doing it. And then there are, there are people. I'll bet you uh, there's still a lot of people in 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 Iran that are friendly to the United States. Yeah, you know, and uh, but but it's not likely to come out. It's, I, you know, at this moment, I keep thinking, well, they're talking about it, but I'm not sure where their sincerities are. Yeah. It's oil. It's oil. oil. Well, I'm going to close. I think we've exhausted our topics for today <laughs> and ourselves, maybe. But I just want to say one thing, Dr. Paul, to our viewers. First of all, well, thanks for watching the show. We appreciate it. We work hard to try to bring you a little bit different of perspective. Uh, but I just want to say that uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano has a great article up on the Ron Paul Institute website, ronpaulinstitute.org. I'll link to it. He talks a lot about what's going on in the Middle East. I think he has a very balanced approach. He mentions his uh, chat with you, I think, uh -huh. yesterday uh, in a very positive light. Uh, but the judge, I think, did a terrific job with this, uh, with this column, and I'll go ahead and link to it. And finally, if we put on that last clip, a reminder, Thursday is my Friday, thanks to my colleague Chris Rossini. Um, that means I have to remind you again that Dr. Paul is signing books for those who participate and help keep the Ron Paul Institute and the Ron Paul Liberty Report alive with a tax-deductible donation, I will also include a link on how you can get Dr. Paul's brand new book, a terrific book, explaining everything that's happening in a way that is very understandable and makes great sense. Uh, so that'll be in the description as well. And I'm going to turn it back over to you, Dr. Very, Paul. very good. And once again, as usual, I want to make sure all our viewers understand how much we appreciate you paying attention and giving us support. And uh, of course, without your support, we can't do very much. We can offer something, but still people have to come and look and give support. And some of the very, very nice letters that we get, I like that. And of course, I've always enjoyed, you know, the conference that we have. And uh, I think credibility, uh, when you consider that, uh, you know, when I first went to Congress a long time ago, the credibility of the philosophy that we talk about and uh, and what I was trying to do was pretty pretty low and uh, I didn't really expect too much people always kid me because they said why why weren't you always disappointed I said well I just had low expectations the truth is it's not being silly as much as if I if I or anybody goes when you get into the freedom movement you say I'm gonna change the world and I can convince them we're gonna do this and next year it's all gonna be okay no you can't do it and the way 
one thing that Leonard Reed always thought, well, he was president of, of the Fee, Fee Foundation, he says the most important thing for all of us is to be informed. So uh, I, I continue with that philosophy, trying to get information all the time from all sources and put it together. And uh, with Daniel's help so often and put it together and come up with a fair and balanced approach and uh, stand strictly to, to the rules on uh, non-intervention. So I always had a strict rule for myself on policy you didn't wiggle, wiggle around and say, well, give up a little bit of this belief and that belief. But I always thought there was room when you dealt with people uh, to be very tolerant of uh, how people present things and not to use a bombastic authoritarian approach. You go our, my way or else. And believe me, there's a lot of that in Congress, you know, especially the ones with power. They come and they sort of threaten you and then they wonder why they run into the problem. But uh, anyway, uh, we, we do our very best and uh, once again thank you very much for tuning in to the Liberty Report.